This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tomahome. How's it going, everybody? Pretty hey, good. Okay. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for welcoming. <laughs> you bet. I've got a headset. <laughs> hey, I've got uh, a DVD that Jesse told me to get that I haven't watched yet, but it has arrived. It's called The Infinite Worlds of H.G. Wells. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's right. here in my hand. That, you had to buy that, didn't you? I did, yeah, but it was, it was uh, very reasonable. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was very impressed by uh, the, in the anthology, and I'm, I'm still finding copies of the, the stories um, and reading them, because mm-hmm. um, there's, there's six stories, I think, from H.G. Wells' stuff, and what they do is, is that they actually put like, a, lot of modern, a lot of modern fiction will put the author who wrote the stories in the stories themselves, mm-hmm. you know, so instead of Sherlock Holmes uh, detecting, it's uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle with Sherlock Holmes, and they're walking down the street detecting together. <laughs> um, in that, and that's what's happening in this. So H.G. Uh, Wells is uh, telling the stories about himself, so they're all connected in that way. Um, but other, other than that, it's basically an anthology series, um, because they take six different stories that he wrote and turn them into a little half hour or so um, science fiction mysteries, hmm. kind of. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, check that out. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing I got in the mail on your recommendation is Memory by Donald Westlake. Oh, great. Now, you, you've heard the audiobook version of that, right? Yep. Oh, almost sneezed. I, uh, I've got the uh, hard copy edition um, from Hard Case Crime. Big black cover. Yes, big black cover. Um, but yeah, I'm going to check this out. I like everything yeah, uh, by Westlake that I've read so far. He's good. Which is nowhere near enough. It's not really an uplifting novel, but it's definitely um, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Are you guys doing that for your, um, your A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast? Um, no, no, it's not on the list. I'll read it, and then if it's a good candidate, we'll do it. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see what you guys had to say about it, because... Okay. Um, uh, you before the podcast started, you were you were saying nihilism. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, it, I think I think this book is sort of a uh, response to a kind of nihilism, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's not a particularly uplifting one. Right. Yeah, and uh, the reason that we were talking about nihilism is because we were looking at um, what's coming out. And one of the uh, not, not a hell of a lot. Is yeah, no, well, first of all, yeah, I was just you know, out of window. I was almost brought brought to tears. You know, out of 122 <laughs> new releases, there was maybe three that are remotely interesting to me, anyway. Um, but one of them that is is Frederick Pohl's new novel, All the Lives He Led, which um, let's see, it won't even be released till mid-April. So hopefully there will be an audiobook version of this, but. Um, it's called a semi-nihilistic novel. <laughs> so, interested to see what that means. The, uh, uh, the quick uh, summary. In a tired, terrorist-plagued 2079, still reeling from the after-effects of a massive Yellowstone eruption, 
which will probably wipe me off the face of the planet. Brad Sheridan escapes from America's refugee camps by signing up for an overseas indenture. Chance earns him a spot working in Italy's lavish commemoration of the 2000th anniversary of the destruction of Pompeii. Beneath quiescent Vesuvius, tourists enjoy entertainments real and virtual. Ben's ambition is limited to minor scams and romance, but fate places him near the epicenter of a terrorist plot of an unprecedented scale. So, I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what semi-nihilistic can mean because mm-hmm. nihilism means um, belief in nothingness mm-hmm. or belief in nothing, um, which is is kind of uh, sort of a contradictory idea to begin with. So it's like saying half minus negative zero, and I, I say or half of minus negative zero. I was like, I don't know what that means. I'm gonna have to get out, you know, pen and paper and start working on it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's it's more of a buzzword <laughs> to me <laughs> yep. at this point, but maybe it's a good buzzword. I don't know. <laughs> but it, yeah. it's it's a uh, it's it sounds good. Yeah. How yeah. how many pages is this? Three sixty eight. That's not terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a little long, but not not hideously long. Mm-hmm. No no audiobook version available yet. Well, yeah, it's not listed on the Amazon. Um, I was looking at a. Uh, on SF Signal, there there's 122 new releases on a post or upcoming books, forthcoming books. Mm. So, um, yeah, these aren't uh, those weren't audio, but I would expect that somebody will pick that poll book up. I hope. So that was the only one that struck you on that entire. No, I mean there was there's 122 of them, and uh, a couple of more. Um, Glenn Cook, A Matter of Time. Glenn Cook is a writer who I've never read. Um, either of you guys tried him at all glenn no. cook didn't he write no. something called the black company is that yeah ring a bell yeah. yep i haven't yeah. read any anything by him but i would um and then um able one by ben bova i like ben bova um but i'm not sure what that novel's about and uh, i think that's the paperback release because it's been out for a while able and then one. here amongst all of the let's see um there's a lot of guys with their shirts off here <laughs> Lot of very uh, fetching. Lot of blood in the title. Um, Flesh in the title. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just flipping through it, just like sighing, just oh man. Well, there's a couple good ones in there. I, uh, there was another one up there, uh, the Catherine M. Valenti novel. Uh, it's called Deathless. It's number eighteen. Mm-hmm. I read about that on Boing Boing, and that sounded pretty interesting. It's it's getting good reviews too. Um, 20th century Russian history provides a background for Valenti's lush reimagining of folkloric villain Koshke. Uh, that's wrong. Koshe, the Deathless, and his dalliance with Ma- Maria Morevna, a clever but troubled young woman. Um, set in Petrograd and Leningrad, St. Petersburg, Baba Yaga assigns her three tasks that will make her worthy of marrying Koshe. Anyways, um, it sounded interesting in the Boing Boing post, and um, cool. there's uh, very positive reviews on Amazon. Yeah, did I tell you that I watched that Russian arc? I know we mentioned it, but yep. it was pre, yep. pre-watching. I did tell you that I watched it. Yep. Yeah. It is. And you said it was good. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm sure I missed a lot because I'm not well-versed in Russian history, but um, it's a cool show. Cool movie. I like the other one. <laughs> I like the other one that's on here. Number twenty-three, 
It's mm-hmm. called Enigmatic Plot. <laughs> <laughs> no, Enigmatic Pilot. A Tall oh, Tale Too oh, True. Oh, you're right. I thought yeah. it was Plot. That would have been better, actually. Good title. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, and the one right above that, Enclave. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Anna that's available. Yeah, it's going to be available as an audiobook. And it had a it had a different name when they bought it, I guess. Um, it was under the title Razorland. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that is interesting because uh, I think this is a, one of the books that's sort of following up on the um, Hunger Games. As yeah. A, mm-hmm. You know, instead of following up with shirtless vampires that shine. It, this one's going to be about kids killing each other. Uh, in, <laughs> yes, in welcome to the style. apocalypse, it says. Induces world people earn the right to a name only if they survive their first 15 years. Right. Yep. Yep, it's a YA. It says it's her it's first YA book. It's going to be very inconvenient. You know, everybody's saying, hey, you, over there. <laughs> yeah, you. You. <laughs> no, not you, you. <laughs> uh, yep. For 15 years, you're not going to know who to talk to Mm. oh she wants to be a huntress as a huntress the main character's name is deuce as a huntress her purpose is clear to brave the dangerous tunnels outside the enclave and bring back meat to feed the group while evading ferocious monsters known as freaks it's a so far it reminds me a little bit of uh james dashner's books oh is that the maze yeah the maze runner is the first one Mm -hmm. yeah and they are um Dark and intense. That's the way this sounds. Did you like that one? The Maze Runner? Yeah, I did. Yes. Yep, I've read The Maze Runner and uh, the sequel called The Scorch Trials. And, um, you know, they're both YA. And, uh, yeah, they're intense. The Hunger Games were really great. Um, All three of those those books. Yeah, I I would say I like The Hunger Games probably a little bit better. But... um, Dashner's books are are very interesting. I'm looking forward to the third one because it's hopefully going to wrap it up because there's a lot of things going on that you're not real certain what is going on, especially in that first book, but it's a very interesting premise. Um, Number 47 uh, is from Peso Press Publishing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a Robert Silverberg collection, it looks like. Oh, cool. Uh, under Planet Stories, Hunt the Space Witch, Seven Adventures in Time and Space. Oh, cool. Uh, well, cool yeah. looking cover. Hey, neat. Yeah, throwback cover. That's cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I like those, um, the, the Peso Press, I think it's how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. uh, covers there. It says it's sweet. got uh, seven hard-to-find classic Silverberg novellas. Slaves of the Star Giants, Spawn of the Deadly Sea, The Flame and the Hammer, Valley Beyond Time, Hunt the Space Witch, the Silent Invaders and Space Rogue. So, yeah. Also, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure it's such a bad list. I think there's just a lot of garbage in it, so it's like yeah, cluttered. I don't know. It just you know, I'm. Uh, is, is this just for the next month? Yeah, yeah. this is April, yeah. right? So uh, I'm I'm sure you could if you were only going to restrict yourself to reading stuff on this list. <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't have any trouble. Mm-hmm. But just wading through all the. The 90%? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, the the sheer volume, you know, 122 books, um, very few of which are interesting to me, you know, makes me feel that it's it's left me behind. Well, <laughs> and I'm still, but uh, you know, like we talked about last week, you know, I'm kind of looking backwards. There's still plenty of stuff to read, plenty of interesting stuff, but it's just not being published right now. 
Robert Sawyer's uh, on there, one nineteen, the third book. Yeah, and I one. should I should read that. I haven't read the second one yet. Yeah, I, I read the first two. I, I like them mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably read the third one. Yep, I need to read the second one, catch up, and then read www wonder. Yep. Hmm. I also think Angry Robot reprinting one of its first steampunk books, Infernal Devices by K. W. Jetter, is something to note. I'm also going to check out that? the reprint of Mike Kaluta's graphic novel, Starstruck. <laughs> um, I saw that at, yeah, that's your comment on there. Um, yes. I saw the <clears throat> Starstruck at the comic book store, I guess it was last week, and they wouldn't let oh, yeah? me look at it because it was not coming out until the next day. I, I really hate that. They, they, they have this table at the back where they're sorting out the, the new releases. And what a tease. They, yeah, and they won't let you, let me see, put that down. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I just want to look at it. Like, you can't buy that until tomorrow. Uh, was look, it wrapped I, in plastic? I'm not going to steal it. I'm just going to look at it. No, he says there's a lockdown on it. You know, it's like, no, uh, it wasn't. It, big, it was big, though. So. I mean, I really like that artist. He did a, a Shadow comic for DC a while ago, and that was really good looking. So at least the, the art should be good. That's not on the 120 list here or so, right? No, no, no. That's something I added. Uh-huh. But that comes out this month. So basically what you're saying is you need to do one of these of your own. <laughs> uh, uh, a Tama version of the uh, forthcoming book. Well, maybe a comics version. That would be a hell of a list. Maybe Blair Butler and I can collaborate. That sounds good. And create a list. Actually, she wasn't on her last podcast. She was at some convention, so they had a bunch oh. of the fill-in guys. Terrible. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the guy from the LA Times who... He has the longest introduction to any podcast. He says it took it takes him about a minute and thirty seconds to talk about what the name of his podcast is. It's like get your cape on, um, pick of the week with with uh, no capes, and I don't know. In L.A. Times, it's like it's like a ninety second introduction before he can actually say what. <laughs> <laughs> he's picked for the week, you know, and then it's one title. It's, then it's he's, just one. He's got to get his plug in first, and then. Oh, it's terrible! It's too long. I mean, he's even got the sign behind him. We don't need to know all that. Anyways. Mm-hmm. All right. So we. I, I also mentioned oh. the Quantum Thief, but that actually comes out next month. But it, I think it's like the first of next month it comes out. The quant- uh, Oh, right. That's the uh, one that was published in the UK. You were saying. Right. It's driving us crazy for a year. Not publishing it in America. You could have got it on Amazon, couldn't you? I guess. But you like to get it in the actual bookstore, don't you? No, I, I would sell it for an ebook. Can I, can I buy a UK ebook? Probably not, but you could buy the actual paper book. Okay. I mean, but you don't, you don't know if it's going to be an audiobook? Uh, no, it probably will be, given how much they're, they're doing. If it's, uh, unless it's a small publisher. Who's the publisher? It's Tor. Uh, it's it's entirely possible they'll do it. I don't Based know how much it sells. I I, I don't mm, I don't think that's usually. It's how much no? they think it'll sell, right? Okay. I, I have no idea, but um, you could you can send an email to Amazon, uh, Amazon to Audible. That's that's who will probably get it because Tor doesn't have their own imprint, so they sometimes go with Macmillan, I think, or uh, Audible, or Brilliance. I guess Brilliance is. Audible, anyways, something like that. Wonder should be out as an audiobook shortly. The third Robert Sawyer, because they did the 
Oh, that's Ace, though. That's not Tor. Anyways. I think that has multiple actors, too. Wonder? Yeah, the, 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 uh, the, the audiobooks do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. interesting. They're very good. Yeah. I listened to, I, I to the actually, first one, but not the second one, but the first one was very good as far you know, the sound and all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the main character is a young girl, so there's not as much introspection as most of Sawyer's other books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I like it's, it for that reason. Yeah, it's not um, audio just drama, just so we're clear. She's young. <laughs> yeah, it's not audio drama. It's, she, she doesn't think as much. Yeah. yeah. It's unabridged audio multi-voice. Yep. Okay. So uh, let, me, let me tell you what excited me on new releases. Um, first of all, there's, uh, it says Brilliance, but it's on Audible as well. Warriors, a big collection. Oh, uh, that's on audio. Yeah. Is it the whole thing? The whole thing, I think. I'd buy uh, it just to, I, you know, I still haven't read the um, Ice and Fire novella that's in there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight authors. Maybe that's not everybody. The Haltman story is good. I happen which, to read that. Which one it's, is a, that? it's a huge book. Which uh, is the Haldeman story? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Um, but it's in Warriors. Okay. Uh, let's see. Many of these writers are bestsellers. All of them are storytellers of the highest quality. Uh, and here's what it says. People have been telling stories about Warriors as long as they've been telling stories. Since Homer first sang of the wrath of Achilles and the ancient Sumerians set down their tales of Gilgamesh, warriors, soldiers, and fighters have fascinated us. They are a part of every culture, every literary tradition, every genre. All quiet on the Western Front, from here to eternity, the Red Badge of Courage have become a part of literary canon, taught in classrooms all around the world and the country. Our contributors take uh, oh, make up an all-star lineup award of award-winning and best-selling writers representing a dozen different publishers and as many genres. We asked each of them for the same thing, a story about a warrior. Some chose to write in the genre they're best known for. Some decided to try something different. You will find warriors of every shape, size, and color here. Warriors from every epoch of human history, from yesterday and today and tomorrow, and from worlds that never were. Some are stories that will make you sad. Some are stories that will make you laugh, and many will keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, and then here's the list. Uh, a long novella from Song of Ice and Fire called Lord... Oh, no, no, no. doesn't say the title. <laughs> uh, Forever Bound is the Haldeman story. Uh, okay. Oh, I see. It's saying what, what, where, what universe they're set in. Uh, a Lord John story. Uh, from Diana Gobbled and uh, David Weber, Peter S. Beagle. But see, the one that really interests me on this entire list mm-hmm. is going to be the Lawrence Block one. Because oh. you don't think of Lawrence Block and Warriors, right? Yeah. Is that um, on the audio version? Yeah. Cool. It says it is, which is cool. And it's big. This is a huge uh, release, 31 hours. Oh, 30. okay. So, so maybe it is mostly there because it is a big I, old book. I would guess. But this is they, like 700 they pages or something. So you're going to have to buy it to find out or mm-hmm. make a very close comparison. Uh, Naomi Novik's in there and uh, a bunch of other, Robert Silverberg, Tad Williams, Howard Waldrop. But in this, you know, it's a really good way to, to get a taste of what other authors are like. You know, I've never read Robin Hobbs, so if I went in there and re- uh, listen to the book, and I like Robin Hobb's story. I'd say, "Oh yeah, I'll go, go pick up that that big one." Mm-hmm. So, 
that's kind of cool. And the Lawrence Block's going to be interesting. He's he's actually a masterful short story writer. He doesn't write very many short stories anymore. But um, back in the late 70s and early 80s, he wrote all these these uh, wonderful, wonderful stories that are kind of, you know, O. Henry-ish, but crime, <laughs> murder, and freaky uh, serial killer style uh, tales. Mm-hmm. Um the pants off you and make you um, want to pick up another one. Just very surprising stuff. So he he, uh, he hasn't been writing as much as many novels since uh, he retired. But um, maybe this is a new short story. That'd be cool if it was. Mm. Yep. It'd be nice if you can try them out separately. Yeah, it would be try them separately. It would be very nice. But Audible doesn't work that way, right? Sadly, like a song on iTunes, just pay a dollar for one story. Well, you know that would be actually a reason to use iTunes over over Audible. Um, if if iTunes offered the same stuff as as Audible, the same content, but in a much more um, you know pick it pick and choose rather than full albums, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That would actually be uh, a, a, any reason at all to buy through iTunes. I see no reason to buy through iTunes at all other than, you know, if you have a have a gift card or something, you can't buy it any other way because Audible's a better deal. Mhm. I'm not sure about always in price, but you don't lose your content after you lose your iPod. Mhm. Yeah. So, that was my first pick and you guys got another one? Go ahead, Tama. Um I was thinking about talking about Limitless, which is yeah, yeah. It's found in like the mainstream part of the bookstore, but it's kind of a science fiction story. So you went to see the movie? Yeah, I saw the movie yesterday. I I kind of like the uh, beginning better than the end. Like I like the premise, but then it kind of turned into a a normal thriller by the end of it. Yeah, it's, but I, I I'm motivated to read the book now just to see how it's different. And it's called the Dark Fields, the original. It was a, yeah, it was originally called the Dark Fields, which refers to like the uh, buildings of New York. It's a quote from uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's uh, *The Great Gatsby*, and they changed the title to *Limitless*, and they reprinted the paperback. So, how is this? Uh, how is this? The premise different from *Flowers for Algernon* or uh, *Ted Chiang's Understand*. It's a guy takes a pill, and then what happens? I, I guess it's similar to those. He takes the pill and he gets really smart, but it only lasts for a day. And uh, another multiple, pill. Multiple. Hmm? Does he just take another pill? Yeah, he he uh, acquires a whole bag of pills, <laughs> and, and other people have taken them too, and they're all uh, fighting over them. But it had, <laughs> but it has side effects, and you start to get sick. So there's complications. Okay. Hmm. And I read the first chapter from uh, the Kindle, like a sample Kindle chapter. Mm-hmm. So I read where he takes the pill, and then he starts cleaning his room. That's the first thing he thinks of to do. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, smart people are neat. Yeah, I think that premise is flawed. <laughs> cool. Well, smart I've got one here for you, Jesse, that, should, okay. that you'll just love. What's um, that? <laughs> Tantor Audio, been looking at their new releases. 
Um, and uh, they've looks like they're publishing um, much of what Eric Von Daniken wrote. Do you know oh, who he no. is? <laughs> yeah. Here's one here called History is Wrong by Eric Von Daniken. It's terrible. Yeah. So um, let's see. Uh, in History is Wrong, Von Daniken takes a closer look at the fascinating Voynich manuscript, which has defied all attempts at description since its discovery and makes some intriguing revelations about the equally incredible Book of Enoch. Von Daniken also unearths the astounding story of the lost subterranean labyrinth in Ecuador, said to be the home of, to an extensive library of thousands of gold panels, etc., etc., etc. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're now you're as depressed as I am. So It's very depressing. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like Tantor now. Yeah, Tantor, I was looking through their new releases. There's not a lot of genre stuff there. Um, there is some good history. They've got some Barbara Tuckman. Um, they're publishing... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I just lost it here. I think it was The Guns of August. Mm-hmm. Um, read by John Lee, it looked like, so that's nice. And then um, they're also keeping up with, as far as genre stuff goes, they're keeping up with uh, Dan Wells... John Cleaver series, uh, read by Kirby Hayborn. I don't want to kill you is the latest. Uh, you're going, you're going too fast. Slow, slow it down. Slow it down. Cause I, oh. I, I think Tantor ha- has a ton of great stuff. So we should talk about mm-hmm. uh, some of those. So, uh, rewind two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> rewind two and then start again. Rewind. I'm just getting back to the, 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 I'm just trying to get past the Eric Von Daniken. That, that is really depressing. <laughs> I know. I knew it would. I, I was I knew hoping never to see those again. Yeah, yeah. And they're they published uh, a few Twilight of the Gods and um, yeah, other stuff. So you want me to talk about uh, Guns of August again? Yeah. Okay. Now the Guns of August by Barbara Tuckman. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a new recording? Um, I don't know if it's a new recording. Um, didn't we when when yeah. we when we talked about him? Yeah, that's the book we were listening to, right? Yeah, it I must be a new it must be a new recording because it's it's read by John Lee, and I don't remember that other one being read by John Lee. I don't remember who read the maybe one. Maybe I'm read. maybe I'm incorrect, but um, it's it about the narrator. events. It's about the events leading up to World War One. Yeah, and uh, um, it's the August and mm-hmm. or July or something of World War One. Yeah, uh, nineteen fourteen. Right. Yeah, that was. Uh, and it opens with a funeral. Book. I remember it opens with a funeral and um, all these uh, dignitaries from all over Europe and some from Asia all meet at this funeral. Um, it, it's, it's really amazing, you know, how much different the world was. Even, you know, a hundred years ago, things mm-hmm. have changed so much. I mean, now Obama gets on the phone with whoever he wants to talk to and back then... You know, things were just happened much slower, I guess. You know, do you think the world events happened much quicker be as a result of that or, um, you know, with this instantaneous communication? If you're upset with another country, you know, you, you draft a letter and, and send it to the, you know, we're going to do this if you don't do that. And then the letter takes like a week to get there or whatever and, you know, mm. by courier. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if it happens faster now, but... Now, you know, everybody gets on the phone, and uh, next thing you know, we're dropping bombs on Libya. So, you know, it just seems to be, it seems to happen much faster. But again, you know, I wasn't alive 100 years ago, so I don't know if that's a misperception or a reality. I don't know, but um, it's certainly something to measure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We could get out a measuring stick and figure that out, but 
Uh, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is people, I, I, in all the coverage of the Libya uh, stuff, n- nothing I've ever heard has mentioned that, you know, this isn't the first time the United States has intervened in Libya. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you go back into the history, and guess what? They've been there before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, Afghanistan, that was the first time, uh, in, the, in the sense that they actually, uh, you, know, in, in, you know, they had, had people there, but not not um, a, a military presence like they do now. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so it's like, what was it? The Graveyard of Empires, isn't that what, they, what uh, they call it? Mm-hmm. Afghanistan is the Graveyard of Empires. But uh, in all the coverage of Libya, you'd think there would have been some mention, yeah, you know, Marines have been there before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's another very interesting book. Um, the Shores of Tripoli, right? <laughs> yeah, right. This one's interesting to me. I, the, I don't know what you call these. I, I was listening to NPR one time, and they were interviewing somebody who wrote a history of a very specific thing. It was like mm-hmm. a history of fishing or something like that. And they, mm-hmm. they, there's so many of that type of book that they came up with a name for them, kind of a subgenre name, like you know, micro history or something. But I can't mm-hmm. remember what it is. But this is another example, and I, this one sounds interesting to me. A history of the world in six glasses. Mm. Um. Author Tom Standage details the history of the world from the Stone Age to the 21st century through the lens of six defining beverages. Beer, wine, spirits, coffee, tea, and cola. Mm. A lot of interesting things in, in those kinds of books. Not a good way to approach it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it starts with beer? Yeah, it says here, beer was first made in the Fertile Crescent and by 3000 BCE was so important to Mesopotamia and Egypt that it was used to pay wages. Interesting. I, I, I was listening to the um, to the Today in Canadian History podcast, which is an excellent podcast if, if you're mm-hmm. interested in Canadian history. And they were saying that the um, the last service of rum uh, on a on a in the Canadian Navy was in the 1970s. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, just like the British Navy, they used to serve rum to the soldiers, or the soldiers, the sailors, as part of their pay, you know, mm-hmm. every day. And if you did a good job, you got like a double portion. Oh, cool. Um, they stopped doing that in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a possibility that uh, in, during the uh, upcoming royal wedding, or maybe it's already happened, I don't know, that the queen will uh, allow the, uh, the distribution of more rum huh. just for, for the special occasion. Very nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and then um, sticking with Tantor, there's two genre titles in their new releases. One of them is Dan Wells' latest. Um, that's the, that the third book in the series? Yeah, the third book in the series. Oh, I'm just calling it up here. Um, oh, there it is. I Don't Want to Kill You by Dan Wells, read by Kirby Hayborn. Um, yeah. What's the unstaken, uh, un- unstated butt there? <laughs> <laughs> right. But. So the, 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 he's got good titles. The first one is "I Am Not a Serial Killer," and book two is "Mr. Monster." Normally, I don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to kill you. Yeah. It's kind of like Dexter, right? He's kind of yeah. a psycho. Yeah. 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 Yep. Exactly. You read the first one, right? I did read the first one. Yep. Yeah, and it's uh yeah, it's a he's. He's a he's a the main character has serial killer tendencies. He he really is a serial killer himself, but he's on the path of a serial killer that's actually killing people. 
and then um, he's using his tendencies to uh, stop killing. But he is, uh, he's, his hands are not clean himself. Kind of, sounds a lot like Dexter. Yeah. 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 Too bad his yeah. name is Demon. Uh, not Demon. His name is Cleaver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Character's name is Cleaver. Cleaver, yeah. That's Should be funny. Beaver. <laughs> the fourth book in the series is going to be called. I know it's ironic, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All it was, right. It was really handy. Mm-hmm. And he's also one of the hosts of Writing Excuses podcast. Right, he is. One of the hosts of Writing Excuses. That's right. Um, okay, now the other genre title that I found here in the new releases is by Harold, Harry Turtledove. Now, mm-hmm. Tantor has published a bunch of Harry Turtledove stuff, and this one is called Homeward Bound. Um, big book. It took uh, three MP3 CDs, 28 hours, 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, it says, this is the spectacular finale to the story that began in the best-selling World War series and continued in the Explosive Colonization Trilogy. Now, the World War series is one that I'm familiar with. I've read um, at least the first novel, which is called In the Balance. Then it takes place during World War II. World War II is heating up big time, and, uh, you know, uh, the shooting war is on. Hitler and, you know, everybody's looking for nuclear weapons and all this stuff. And then into that comes aliens. The, The world gets invaded by an alien race, and now... All of humanity unites, including, you know, Hitler, who's still around, and, um, you know, Churchill, and um, everybody. Anyway, they all uh, have to unite to beat these aliens, which, you know, the aliens have a much better technology, so it's pretty difficult. I don't recall if I read all four. There's four volumes in the World War series. Um so, I've only read his short fiction. I've never mm-hmm. read a novel like the yeah. Fairy Turtle novel. So, yeah, apparently what happens then is um, there's four novels in the World War series, and they're all published by Tantor. And then there's a colonization series, and I'm not really sure what the premise is on those. Um, but it's a continuation of the series, so... That history of the world in six classes does sound really good. Yeah, sounds you know I love mm-hmm. I love history stuff and that sounds really good. But there's there's one on there that you didn't mention that oh. should get you very excited. Okay, ready. Um, in the it's number thirty two on the new new releases for March. Okay, Tantor. It's We by Yevgeny Zamyatin. Does hmm. that sound familiar? It doesn't. Oh, Gro- uh, Grover well, Gardner. Eric, Rab- Eric Rabkin med- mentioned it a oh. few times. Okay. Uh, when he's on our podcast, or at oh, least cool. in conversation, and it's a it's an old science fiction book. Look at um, that, yeah. Set in the 26th century AD, this is a masterful translation of Yevgeny Zamyatin's *We*, the archetype of modern dystopian fiction. Hmm. Um, set in the 26th century AD, describes life under the regimented totalitarian society. Totalitarian. Totalitarian society of one state, ruled over by the all-powerful benefactor. Recognized as the inspiration for George Orwell's 1984, we is the archetype of the modern dystopia or anti-utopia, a great prose poem detailing the fate that might befall us all if we surrender our individual selves to some collective dream of technology and fail in the vigilance that is the price of freedom. Wow. 
And it's a new translation, maybe? Mm-hmm. It says, oh, Clarence Brown's brilliant translation is based on the corrected text of the novel first published in Russia in 1988, after more than 60 years' suppression. Yeah, so that, that, that's possibly a read-along book based on um, yeah. its provenance and its Grover Gardner, mm-hmm. and it's only six CDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd be interested in that. That sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was another one I spotted. Uh, see if I can find it. Yeah, uh, so it's, it was good that you're... I always forget about Tantor. For some reason, I always think, oh, Blackstone, recorded books, uh, and uh, books on tape. <laughs> but mm-hmm. those are all, you know, only one of those is still putting out a ton of great stuff. But Tantor's great. Uh, another one, Herland, number 27. Now, mm-hmm. that's something that's been released before. But um, this is a William Dufries reading. Oh, good. Um, and it's a, I believe it's public domain, um, but I'm pretty sure it's public domain. But it's, yeah, 1915. But uh, with, a, with a new um, narration, it should be quite interesting. Uh, a landmark work of feminist thought, Charlotte Perkins Gilman's Herland depicts an all-female utopia where peace and rationality reign and poverty is unknown. Hmm. So it's a u- utopian book. How does, uh, uh, how does it, how do they, how does the all-woman... Utopia begin, um, I guess. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, if, if if this is the one set in South America on a plateau, kind of like uh, uh, I think they they use binary fission <laughs> or something like that. Oh, I can't okay. So I mean, the whole world isn't female. It's just it's no. A, it's like I think it, it's uh, told, if this per, is the told one from the perspective of Van Dyke Jennings, a male social sociology student who sets out with his two friends to determine whether her land really exists. The novel ironically and pointedly critiques the arbitrary nature of many gender norms as it highlights the irrational features of the men's society and asserts women's fundamental capacity for reason and cooperation. Yeah, so it, what, what happens is, I think, uh, three, three guys set off in a balloon uh, in South America. They land in, on this plateau in South America and find society uh, women, and then uh, they... Uh, they marry into the society, even though there's never been any men there. Um, and and in examining the society, they may have changed it, that sort of thing. Mm. Pretty interesting. Gotcha. And I, I, for some reason, I think I've read it, but I don't think I have, you know? Yeah. And this is cool, <laughs> yeah, too. I really I really like why Tan- how Tantor does this with some of their public domain stuff. Yeah. Um, includes companion ebook containing the full text of the book on the, on the CD. So. Yeah. That is really neat. Yeah, I, I think you know, in in my depression over uh, all those Van Daniken books, um, <laughs> you can you can. It's like you being depressed about those uh, those shirtless romance mm. <laughs> vampire. There's books. just so many of them. You know, I, yeah, I, I, well, I have nothing against them, but I just titles. the sheer volume is just astounding. They put out fifty titles this month, yeah. so or uh, last month it is because we're yeah. in April now. So yeah, if you go to the bookstore, that's all you see. On yeah, the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> kind of drowning out. You know, I, I used to be annoyed at, you know, you'd go uh, on Amazon or whatever and you'd look up science fiction and 50% of what you found would be Star Trek books. Mm. You know, and it was always like, yeah, I wish they could put those in their own section. So when I look up science fiction, you know, I can look up Star Trek, you know, separately or whatever. But now it's uh, this paranormal romance stuff. You, you call up science fiction and fantasy and you've got, you know, at least 50% vampire books hmm. you know 
Well, it just like, it, they just don't belong with the disagree. with the Arthur C. Clarke uh, 2001. It's just not the same. Not this, uh, you know, I don't even think it's the same audience. I really don't. No. Yeah. So there might be some crossover. But we probably. need another uh, demarcation, some kind of a. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Philosophical fiction. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. What about uh, Fe- uh, did you look at February? Because I, I it's been a while since I checked out their releases. Uh, actually, they, they seem to have quite a few of those conspiracy and ignorance based books. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, maybe those finance the good books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Let's see. February uh, prefect. We talked about that. The Alistair Reynolds uh, yeah, released. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay, so maybe um, we have Luke. Luke, Luke talked about that one. I've read that. Have that you? That's my. That's the first Alistair Reynolds book I ever read. Yeah. What'd you think? I, I it's kind of my favorite because it's a little bit shorter and leaner, mm-hmm. and uh, it's almost like a movie when you're reading it. Yeah. So I, I would definitely recommend it as like a first Alistair Reynolds book. Oh, cool. It's in the same universe as Revelation Space, but it's a separate story. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I liked it. And uh, Jesse, weren't we talking about Tales from the Book of Thousand Nights and a Night? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just noticed that they have a version here in February, oh, narrated by Kevin Foley. It's yeah, it just says Tales from the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, a plain and literal translation of the Arabian Nights entertainments. I don't know if this is a complete unabridged. No, probably um, wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 11 hours long. And again, includes companion ebook containing the full text of the book. I don't know Kevin Foley as a narrator, but there's a signal listen to a sample. It says it includes Tale of the Bull and the Ass, <laughs> Tale of the Traitor and the Ginny, uh, the first Shayek story, the second Shayek story, the third Shayek story, Fisherman and the Jinn, King Sinbad and his Falcon. Oh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's got a... Fair list. Um, who's the? Yeah, translated by Richard Burton. Yeah. So that's that's cool. Actually, you know that might be a good place to start because it's very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very huge. intimidating. It's huge, right? And yeah. and then uh, I was r- looking it up on Wikipedia, and <laughs> it's not complete, right? Like uh-huh. there's additional books after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it's not a book, right? It's a it's a it's a Sort of like an anthology, sort of with a, uh, you know, it's the first fix-up novel. That's what, <laughs> that's what <laughs> it is. It's the first fix-up because um, there are a whole bunch of stories, and then they string them all together using this metafictional uh, character who is telling the stories, right? Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's yeah. the first fix-up novel. Right. Um, um, yeah, I think this might be a good way to go. The Tale of the Jewish Doctor. The Hermits, the tale of the waterfowl and the tortoise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might be a really good way to go. Cool. Uh, if this is a good narrator, I think this is going to be high on my list of listens. Good. Um, and I think was that that, that was a February release. Was um, yeah, it was a February release, right? Yeah, they've got a lot of good classics. I, I noticed they have Nostromo um, by uh, Conrad. Uh huh. And that was that. That was February as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that's an interesting book. That's actually it's interesting because it's set in a fictional South American country. 
Interesting. Kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. um, Three Men in a Boat, have you read that? I have not. I've read uh, To Say Boat. Nothing of the Dog. Yeah, well, that's the subtitle, Three Men in a Boat. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting. I, 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 I'm not convinced that it's a, a full-on comedy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's humorous, but it's more like playful than it is humorous, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and I read about, the, this is the best way, I think, to, to get a book, is you, you're reading a book, and the character in, a, in the book is reading a book. And that's in Have Space with Travel, I think. Mm. I think it's that one. Could have been another one of the Heinlein juveniles. But he's, yeah, I think, I think he's reading Three Men in a Boat, and he's laughing and laughing. And everybody in the house is laughing at Three Men in a Boat. And I think, I wonder if that's a real book. And I went huh. into the library, and I found a recorded books copy of uh, Three Men in a Boat. And I quite enjoyed it. Oh, cool. Hey, here's, here's one from uh, December. Um, it's a Harry Turtle Dove. It's called Atlantis and Other Places: Stories of Alternate History by Harry Turtle Dove, narrated by Todd McLaren. Um, runs about fourteen hours long. Ooh. And uh, here are some of the stories: Audubon in Atlantis, Bedfellows, News from the Front, The Catcher in the Rhine, The <laughs> Damon, The Farmer's Law, Occupation Duty, The Horse of Bronze, The Genetics Lecture. Someone is stealing the great throne rooms of the galaxy. <laughs> Uncle Alf and the Scarlet Band. I would love to listen to that one. It sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Seven more amazing stories of ancient eras, historical figures, mysterious events, and out-of-this-world adventure from the incomparable Harry Turtle Dove. That's cool. So a, a short story collection. Um, yeah, and again, I've... Uh, gone into the science fiction section on Tantor and um, I had to get like through several several pages of <laughs> yeah, Twice Bitten uh, Kissing Sin <laughs> and then right next to that, Pushing Ice by Alistair Reynolds and Echo by Jack McDevitt and then Harvest Hunting <laughs> yeah, so what yeah. you're saying is we need to kick kick those books out of the, the we need genre. to give them their own genre, right yeah, kick yeah. them out and then let them <laughs> hang out in their own place, because yeah. Slave to Sensation not mm-hmm. so interesting to me as a science fiction novel. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Shirtless man on the cover, slave to sensation. I don't think that's science fiction. Taken by midnight. Yep. Weight of stone. Yep. So it's, yeah. Anyway, cool. Tantor. All right. Um, I've got more. Good. Okay. Um, one of the ones that is kind of interesting is... Um, Maybe we should jump over to Blackstone. Okay. Okay. So, um, mm-hmm. in my Blackstone category, oh crap, my mouse isn't working. <laughs> um, uh, I there's one called. Oh no. I'm gonna have a mouse problem. You have a trackpad. <laughs> mouse problem. No, it's a Windows not responding problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Orson Scott Card's uh, Intergalactic Medicine show is coming as a, ah. an audiobook. Yes. Do you know about this? Um, yeah, it's it's on audio already on Audible. Oh, it is. Uh-huh. Oh, it's just not out in hard copy. Yet. Exactly right. All right. It, isn't Scott in that? No, I, I'm not in I, that. I was in the, the I was list. in the magazine, but I, I didn't get in the book. 
Oh. Unfortunately. They're saving, they're saving him for the, the super yeah, best. Of. I'm sure that's exactly <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> the yeah. Super, super best of. Yeah, I was pretty excited when I heard that book was coming out. Oh, I hope I get in there, but I didn't get in. So, do you happen to know if any of those are um, new releases uh, in a 100% way? Because I know that, you know, Intergalactic Medicine Show has released um, audio before. Yeah, I, I think um, they're pretty much all. They they didn't take the audio that was um, in the magazine and put it in here. I don't think um, some of Orson Scott Card's stories were made into audio in in the early version of Intergalactic Medicine Show. That that's all that was on audio was Orson Scott Card's stories that he wrote himself, mm-hmm. and then um, it kind of evolved. And now they do an audio story every month. And it's not necessarily Orson Scott cards. You know, some of the issues don't have a story by him in there. Most of them do, but the the audio story is not always one that he wrote. Now, mm. so well, maybe he's he's slowing so down. So all of, all of those that are in there that are not written by Orson Scott Card, they were not in audio before they made the audio book. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it is cool. Um. So one of my that, favorite that writers, by the way, one of the, the writers that I follow in the short story market right now is Eric James Stone. And he's in that collection, I think, three times, two or three times, at least twice. And he's got, um, on a skate pod, rejiggering the thingamajig is <laughs> a really excellent story. And I can't remember which episode of Escape Pod it is, but I highly recommend that you give it a listen. It's about okay. a, a Buddhist... Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> it's really good. Really good story. Sounds like Robert Sawyer's uh, dinosaur books. Yeah, I guess maybe, you know, they, you could, could connect them that way. But this uh, reptilian alien is on his way somewhere. And the way that you travel is you go through these gates. And the gate system breaks down while he's stranded on this planet. Well, it strands him on a planet. And he... Is he needs to rejigger the thingamajig in order to get the uh, the gates working again? And, and all uh, he has is these tiny tyrannosaurus arms. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. But check it out. I highly recommend it. He's uh, it's, he's it's been episode writing some great stuff. Okay, we'll we'll hop up that. Yeah, he works. Uh, yeah, writes great stories. So, uh, you ready for some body swapping Heinlein? Ooh, body swapping Heinlein. I will fear that, no evil. You know what? That should be its own genre. If we could separate those. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's a long one. It's 17 hours, 9 minutes. or 17.9 hours, 18 hours. Um, so 15 CDs. It's it's hefty. Hefty book. First time on audio as far as I'm aware. Um, and I'm usually pretty good at tracking Heinlein audiobooks. Uh, this is one of his later books. Um, it says, written at the dawn of the 1970s. Um, the one I read it in, I read it in paperback, had a big black cover, and and uh, was sort of unclear as what it was going to be about. But it's a uh, it's a story of a rich guy who uh, gets in a car accident or something. I think it was a car accident, uh, full body trauma, and he is replaced. His brain is placed in the body of his secretary who had conveniently brain trauma. Right, so they swap his his brain into her body and he has to reaccustom himself to 
being alive in a young body, but also being alive in a female young body, hmm. and figure out his sexuality and uh, and all that. But the 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 the, the twist is um, his recently ceased, deceased gorgeous secretary is still uh, alive in spirit uh, and is talking to him inside his own inside her body. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so it's like it, he he's he wonders if this is uh, if you know her brain's gone. What, what, how is this possible? Maybe he's insane, uh, or maybe uh, your brain is not your whole body, or maybe it's his conscience or something. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Heinlein, uh, I, I you know I'm listening to the um, the the new old science fiction novel, his first and last science fiction novel. It's called um, uh, something, something, a comedy of customs. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, for us, the living, mm-hmm. a comedy of customs, and uh, it's it's interesting because he really does the same themes over and over and over again. And then th- in that one, you know, it's naked people talking to each other for three or four pages, and then they have some coffee, and then they talk for another twenty or forty pages, and then they uh, go to sleep, and then. You know, so the first three chapters of the book are basically just talk, talk, um, and then they go out and look at their her, her amazing new aircraft or whatever. Um, and technology—it's a mix of technology and sociology and and uh, politics and all that stuff. And it's it's pretty interesting. But um, he one of the things that he has seems to be really interested in is is examining preconceptions about what is normal and what is not what's abnormal so you know when you read the moon is a harsh mistress some of the most interest, interesting stuff is not the you know the war but uh the what it would mean if you have a huge disparity in in gender a uh, whole bunch of men and only a few women what would it what would it look what would society look like and he has those uh, line marriages and and um in i will fear no evil it's you know looking at a society uh, as a man who's in a woman's body. How do you? How, are you gay if you if you are attracted to women? Uh, isn't that weird, right? And mm-hmm. so it's it's a it's interesting. I, I'm not sure that his answers are really con- convincing, but it's an interesting exploration, and he doesn't seem to shy away from that, which I think a lot of people, you know, even myself, you know, I talk about Heinlein. He seems really interested in having. Uh, people having conversations while they're naked. And I'm like, <laughs> why is he so interested in this? Well, I guess he's interested in that. And is that so wrong? Maybe not. Doesn't <laughs> hurt anybody else, right? Okay, mm. whatever. <laughs> yep. uh, he should be. He should be patted on the back for his weirdness. I think. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I I'm not sure it's his best book, but it's it's definitely interesting, and it doesn't lose control like a lot of his much later books. I guess the books from the early '80s and and uh, you know there's a couple ones near the end that are just like what the hell's going on here? This is so boring. Um, this one is is still readable and still enjoyable. It's not a it's not a Heinlein classic, but it's still classic Heinlein. You know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, Anthony Heald's the narrator. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he narrated same- Eiffelheim, by the way. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. And I was uh, 
for that last good story podcast. I was kind of half audio, half print. I, I was. I think I was telling Tama that uh, you you have the exact same review of it as Luke did. You guys both oh. hated the um, hated the uh, the interpersonal relationship scenes and uh, and and were interested in the old, you know the the ancient setting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, for I, sure. It's a universal disclaim. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, on the same uh, page of releases, there's a title that looks like it's a science fiction title. Did you see it? It's called Idiot America. Idiot America. Yeah. Idiot America is... Um, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's actually uh, by Charles P. Pierce, read by Bronson Pinchot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like a science fiction title because it has George Washington, I think, riding a dinosaur. <laughs> Oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> See that? Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's about politics and culture. It says the culture wars are over and the idiots have won. A veteran journalists caustically funny, righteous, angry lament about the glory glorification of ignorance in the United States. Um, and it says the three great premises of idiot America: any theory is valid if it sells books, <laughs> <laughs> soaks up ratings, or otherwise moves units. <laughs> 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 Anything can be true if someone says it loudly enough. Facts, fact is what enough people believe. Truth is determined by how fervently they believe it. <laughs> and mm. you know, yeah. It sounds it sounds like um maybe it's a book we need to read. <laughs> well, maybe not we need to read, but so, some people need to read. Uh but I I think that that's it it, it is pretty funny cuz mm. <laughs> George Washington is riding a dinosaur, and people might think it's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. That's true. We got Von Daniken. Oh, my. Yep. I, I, I love how Von Daniken, what he, his, his whole thing is, um, these are things no one can understand. No one could figure them out. Uh, and then he says, uh, here's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, his answers are no, no, uh, no uh, good explanation. And it turns out that that uh, actually there are perfectly reasonable explanations. They're not uh, the Nazca lines are not landing landing strips for the gods. Um, they're mm-hmm. perfectly uh, reasonable, expl- ex- explainable, and they, they don't actually have any landing lights. You know, mm-hmm. right? No wires under there. <laughs> yep. So uh, I think I have a couple more. Okay. Uh, the Broken Sword is coming. You know, have you heard about this? It's one of the, the most broken famous. Broken Sword. Yeah. So this is a Poole Anderson book. Oh, and okay. I think it's coming in a couple months. I wanted yes. to point out because it's okay. kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, Broken Sword is one I've heard a ton about, and uh, I know a lot of a lot of. Um, Fantasists pointed out as a, an excellent book. Um, Thor has broken the sword of Trifing, so it cannot strike the roots of the Yggdrasil, the tree that binds together earth and heaven and hell. But now the mighty sword is needed again to save the elves in their war against the trolls. And only Skaflok, a human child kidnapped and raised by the elves, can hope to persuade Bul- persuade Bulwark, the giant ice the ice giant to take the trifling hole again, but Skaflok must also confront the shadow self 
Yalgard, the changeling who has taken the place in the world of men. Now, that sounds very like (laughs) every other Tolkien-esque, you know, fantasy derivative you've ever heard, right? Mm -hmm. But the the difference is written in 1954, Hmm. right? So it's contemporary with with, um, uh, Tolkien rather than than, uh, a derivative of. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, it's a uh, long been in print. It's short, two hundred seventy four pages, and um, uh, Moorcock loves it. Um, is inspired by it. It's uh, influenced by that uh, novel uh, H. Ryder Haggard wrote called the Saga of Eric Bright Eyes. So it's it's comes at it from a different uh, point of view than um, it's it's basically inspired by Icelandic sagas rather than, mm. uh, you know, Tolkien derivative. So it's, it's more about, um, um, the, the Scandinavian mythology than it is about, uh, fantasy worlds, uh, wholly created or whole, you know, made of, made of Tolkien-esque, uh, language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So uh, this is one I've I've actually wanted to read for a long time, and I'm actually looking forward to that coming to audio. Oh, good. Ross and Pinchot. Yep, yep, that'll be good. He's a busy man. <laughs> he is. He must, he must be, like, recording nonstop, eh? Yeah, yeah. All right, um, and one more, I think. i got Orson Scott Card's Medicine Show. Aha, The Plague Dogs. This is listed as general fiction, but I've I've read about it, and I do believe it. It's not general fiction, um, at least not in the most conventional sense. That's coming to um, Blackstone as well, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's in the Watership Down series. Oh, okay. I think um, it's it's not in the Watership Down series. It's it's by the guy who wrote Watership Down. Hmm. Um, Two dogs escape an animal testing facility and are subsequently pursued by uh, government and media, uh, published in '77, and um, it's uh, it's told, I guess, from the point of view of the dogs. <laughs> hmm. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, my daughter would love that book. I bet. Um, I'm not sure if it's, it's kind of a longish one for her, but. What's what's the length on there? Um, eleven CDs. Yes, yeah, a little long. Mm-hmm. Uh, aided only by a fox they call Todd, the two dogs must struggle to survive in their new environment. When the starving dogs attack some sheep, they are labeled ferocious man-eating monsters, setting off a great dog hunt that is later intensified by the fear that dogs could be carriers of the bubonic plague. Hmm. So it's um. I, th- I think anytime you've got a, a fiction story that tells uh, the story from the point of view of the animal mm-hmm. is is uh, quasi science fiction. Hmm. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Fantasy for sure. Uh, well, it's, I, I I I I would say it, it can't be fantasy. Well, it depends on if they're personified like or not. I mean, if they're. <laughs> If they're trying to uh, get into a dog's head and uh, as the dog really is, you know, uh, that could be okay. science fiction. But if you're just personifying the dogs, that would be fantasy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, Elmore Leonard wrote a, a book called Coyotes in the House, I think it's called. And, and that one, 
the dogs are like using slang and uh, <laughs> and talking about being cool and <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. Uh, yeah, that sort of thing. So in that case, it would be a sort of quasi fantasy, yeah. But um, I, I think like Call of the Wild, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's um, not trying to not trying to characterize the dog as anything other than a dog, but trying to look at the world from its point of view. Mm-hmm. And um, that the dogs don't talk in that book, right? They they communicate, but they don't talk. Right. So cool. That's that's my list, except for one on Audible that I think we've uh, definitely got to talk about. Hey Jesse, did you ever read We Three, the comic book? We Three, no. What's that? It's a, it's like a dog, a cat, and a rabbit, and they're mechanized by the military. <laughs> and it's no. written by Grant Morrison. Oh, it's a, a comic, you say? So yeah, Grant it's a comic. Morrison, I, I've not read much in the way of Grant Morrison, other than I read he wrote Transmetropolitan. Was that what it's called? Right. I haven't. I, Where's that Warren Ellis? Sure. I, I can't remember. Maybe I don't. Maybe I haven't read any Grant Morrison. Okay, and the art is really good. It's Frank Whiteley, and so the the dog talks, and it's science fiction, and, and it's good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, there's a lot of silent panels, which is my pet peeve. But yeah, I, I noticed you you mentioned that in uh, recent. Oh, that was the Harlan Ellison thing, right? Yeah, that has a lot of silent panels too. Well, you you, you think you're getting ripped off or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I go through it so fast. I I just read the whole book and. 40 minutes or something. Slow it down. I, I, I think like in the old days, there was more words in comics, and now it seems like they put in a lot of silent panels and spread it out. <laughs> put more work for the, uh, for the uh, artist, less work for the author, maybe? Right. Maybe the author's slacking. Could be. So, the, the big title. The big title that I'm excited about, I think everybody's excited about, mm-hmm. The Death of Grass by John Christopher. Yes, oh yeah. Now, yeah, you pointed that out to me earlier this week. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I am excited by it. I didn't really know anything about John Christopher. Well, uh, you might have heard, you know, he wrote a series that got turned into a TV show called The Tripods. Mm-hmm. Is, I guess, like a, it's like a, Yeah, and those, those three are also on Audible. I uh, yeah. saw the trilogy. But, no, I, I wasn't aware of what that was until I read those synopses, too. I think it's an Australian series, uh, TV series called The Tripods, and basically the aliens have invaded the Earth, and it's kind of like War of the Worlds, except that they they don't die, the aliens, uh-huh. um, and they've got these giant tripod uh, walking things that come by and extract tribute or something. Um, I'm sort of only vaguely aware of what it's about because I I'm remembering from when I was a kid and watched a couple episodes on television. Um, so I don't know much about the tripods, but I do know that The Death of Grass is a very famous um, early science fiction um, apocal- post-apocalyptic story, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is a new, never-before-released-on-audio uh, audiobook. And um, it's read by William Gaminara. I don't know who he is. Uh, seven hours, four minutes just released uh, in the last week, and here's the summary. It says, A viral strain has attacked rice crops in East Asia, causing massive famine. Soon a mutation appears that infects the staple crops of West Asia and Europe, such as wheat and barley, threatening a famine engulfing the whole Old World. While Australia and 
Australasia and the Americas attempt to impose rigorous quarantine to exclude the virus. Uh, Christopher's classic post-apocalyptic novel follows the struggles of architect John Custance and his family as they make their way across England that is rapidly descending into anarchy. Hoping to reach the safety of John's brother's farm in an isolated Westmoreland Valley, along the way they must fa- must sacrifice many of their morals in order to stay alive. Here is an unusual and absorbing piece of science fiction about the relentless transformation of civilization when the balance of nature is upset. Hmm. And then it's a couple of quotes, one from Brian Aldiss. I admire The Death of Grass. It was published at roughly the same time as The Day of the Triffids. In my judgment, it is by far the better book. It is a thrilling and sensible work. And Financial Times says, Gripping! Of all the science fiction apocalypses, this one is the most haunting. Cool. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, Looking forward I know to it's, that. It's well respected in, uh, in, in its subgenre. I, 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 you know, I'd heard of that one even more so than Earth Abides. And um, it's one of those ones, those classics that I haven't read. Great. All right. So definitely check forward. it out. Yep. Did, did we mention the Sam Gun Omnibus? By uh, no. I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast. No, we sure didn't. Yeah. So that's uh, twenty nine hours. I, I think it's one credit. So I think it's a good deal. That one credit? Wow. Mm-hmm. I think Eddie Anako said you can get Sam Gun Omnibus and Game of Thrones for two credits, and you get sixty three hours. Wow. He, he calls <laughs> it a buy the pound special. <laughs> <laughs> The digital pounds. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I, I don't know why The Steel Remains is a new release, but I noticed that one there. Yeah, it must be that it was not audible before for everybody. Um, and I know that that was true, that some people couldn't get it. Uh, Steam couldn't get down, download Steel Remains from Audible. Um, so maybe a, a more wider release is what made it a new release, you know? But every uh, once in a while, if you if you look through Audible's catalog, you'll see duplicate titles. You know, titles that are re-released um, for whatever reason. Okay. Uh, when you've got mm. however many thousands of books, it's you know entirely possible to have duplicates in there. Okay. It's it's my guess. Yeah, Steel Remains is not new, but I think they have a new cover uh, on the on the release. It's not even a new reader, but a new cover, new new cover art. Well, that's something. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I, I noticed they're doing cliff notes now. Oh, yeah. They're like, nice. they're like little summaries of books. So they have the cliff notes of Brave New World. just came out a couple weeks ago. Hmm. And cliff notes are what we used to use in high school. If we yeah. didn't want to read the whole book, we would just get the cliff notes mm-hmm. and try to f- try to fake it with the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually like cliff notes and close notes and all those uh, other once, but not not because I want to cheat, but because I think it's actually quite useful to see these things abstract, like a you know character list abstracted and yeah, there's some analysis in it too. Yeah, and and gives you references and um, pronunciations and things things that are and so it's a meta version of the book, you know, uh, notes and and essays and all sorts of it's it's fun, mm-hmm. interesting stuff. Yeah, they've got but, a lot yeah, of them here. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Neat. And uh, I noticed the Spiral Path. That's by one of the SF Signal bloggers. Sp- that sounds familiar. Did you? Uh, mind? Li- li- Lisa Spindler. Okay. It's only four hours long, so I guess it's a novella. Hmm. 
But uh, Four hours. It seems, sure. But it seems to be romantic. I don't know if. Oh. <laughs> but it's also half science fiction. Half science. Half science fiction. <laughs> half science. But the Quasi. cover is very romantic. Quasi science fiction. Yeah. Dark Jenny. We mentioned that last week, right? That's right. the um, the one that's um, uh, Stefan Rudnicki. Uh, Warriors. What else? Any other? I, I was going to give an honorable mention to uh, E Pray Love. <laughs> just, just for the <laughs> play on the title. It's P R E Y instead oh, of P R A. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> but it's, I guess it's urban fantasy. So. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> but kudos for the title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, look at that. Yep. That's pretty horrible. <laughs> 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 so that's the ones that I've noted from the new releases at Audible. Sure. <laughs> yeah, love at stake. S T E A K. Yep. <laughs> that's too funny. Buy it, buy it based on the fact that it's a pun. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know exactly. uh, there are a couple other things I should mention now that uh-huh. we're talking Audible. Um, couple weeks, uh, two weeks ago, you'll see. Um, all of William Kuhn's uh, company uh, titles are up there, including Gilgamesh the King. Oh, cool. That's the eloquent voice title. So he's got the Time Traders, the Andre Norton book, which he tells me it's his, his bestseller. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gilgamesh the King, and uh, I think he's got some short stories as well. Let me just see. Um, I talked to him yesterday and was congratulating him on up on Audible because uh, even even if it's not a great cut that they're giving him, at least they're giving him the the traffic. And so he's got a collection of Philip K. Dick stories up there and some Anton Chekhov, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Chekhov. He's got some um, Henry James as well. And I, I think we should do another Henry James at some point. Yeah. I've got uh, I've got figure in the carpet and other stories. Yeah. Very good. Oh, um, one last thing. I got an email uh, from uh, the the folks at the UK HP Lovecraft group, and I'm trying to uh, Paul of Cthulhu. That's his name. <laughs> Yogsofoff.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a podcast, and <laughs> he says, "Hey Jesse, we're kicking it old style." And then he sent me a link to his his new audio release, which is The Whisperer in Wax. It's a H.P. Lovecraft asks something. Um, and it's a new cylinder from Yog Sothoth. And it says, um, it has been more than two years now since I ran off that blasphemous wax cylinder, a waxen cylinder. But at this moment, and at all other moments, I can still hear the feeble, fiendish buzzing as it reached me for the first time. And then, <laughs> and then you Got a p- it says, this is our first wax cylinder. Now you can actually sift through the evidence of H.P. Lovecraft's story, The Whisperer <laughs> in Darkness, with the w- YSDC's prop kit. This is the first Lovecraftian wax cylinder ever produced and makes a mag- magnificent prop for your Cthulhu games or a wonderful talking point at parties, convocations, and cult meetings. <laughs> um, so what they did was they, they recorded and produced a wax cylinder recording of a hp lovecraft story i think <laughs> wow and in the comments people are like this is really cool now how the hell would i ever play it 
Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I I don't know if there are a lot of audiobooks out on uh, Wax. <laughs> I do know that it would be hard. It could be a new trend. Yeah, it's two hours. Uh, sorry, two minutes and five seconds of uh, mysterious and chilling recording. <laughs> wow. It's analog. Yeah. Super analog. For, for the purists out there. <laughs> well, that's neat. That's super ancient technology. It's got it's got the ultimate DRM. <laughs> Can't find a device to play it. It's kind of hard to copy. Mm. Extremely hard to copy. Uh. I can mention one more paperback. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, embedded by Dan Abnett. Oh, I've seen a lot of reviews of that. Yeah, so it's like a reporter that's on a chip inside of a soldier's body, and then the soldier goes to war. Mm-hmm. And Dan Abnett writes a lot of the war, um, Warhammer 40K books. Mm-hmm. But this is like his first uh, not standalone science fiction novel, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guys on SF Signal seem to think it's good. So yeah, I've seen was, a lot was of them. It out. A lot of reviews. Uh, what's it? How's it doing on uh, Goodreads? Um, I'd have to look it up. Okay, we'll look that up for later. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>